Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life, plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and today we are here with a stacked, and I mean stacked, resume casting director, Elizabeth Boykevich. I don't know if you've heard of the shows Good Trouble, Alone Together, The Bold Type, Pretty Little Liars. I could go on and on. Her resume is stacked with TV shows and movies, and she is also a personal life coach now. And so she sees the actor not just as a person she puts in a show, but as a holistic human being. And I am so glad I know Elizabeth because the way she talks about casting and the way she sees the world has really opened up my eyes to what we can look for, especially because she was an executive casting director. So she was at the top of the ranks. She was picking the casting directors who got to cast the shows. She has been in every corner of this business. And today she's going to explain how that whole process works so we can understand the back end, as well as what she looks for in green actors that she can tell is going to survive the test of time, how she casts new actors, and the few qualities that she has seen of actors who do not make it past a table read. You do not want to miss some of these goodies. She also just leaves you feeling like so warm about this business, which is not always true about professionals. I cannot wait for you to get to know her. Without further ado, please enjoy Elizabeth Boykevich. So we're starting here and I just saw you two nights ago. Yeah. Tuesday night. Yeah. Two nights ago. Mm -hmm. That turned into a dinner. (laughs) Couldn't get into the movie. We tried. We tried. And listen, here's the thing we were right about. It was a hot movie. We went to go to the premiere of Saltburn, which we had tickets to. Little did we know they gave half of Los Angeles tickets as well. It was at the Ace Theater, which is awesome downtown. But the line was around, literally around the block. I know. Now I think that phrase is overused because I've never actually seen a line wrap around a block before. And now that I have... They were like, I was like, oh, I'm getting in line in front of the line. That's how much it was wrapping around the block. So By I guess way, we have Sam, to go see it. Not, not only have you seen it, you were standing in it. I was fully in it. And I was like, don't park your car. We're going to go somewhere else. We're not going to get into this. So now we have a movie to see. And I'm yes. so excited we're post-strike because we can say the names of movies, which is great. Missed this. Elizabeth, I will have talked a little bit about you before this, but – As your career morphs and changes and you change and morph in terms of like a person and a job, how do you identify right now in the business or as your job? It's such a good question. So I say, this is the best way I can describe it. And a dear friend of mine gave me the title of casting maven. So I say that I am a casting maven and I am also a professional life and leadership coach. Interesting. So I don't usually think of those two things in the same bucket. How do you get to that? You mean casting and then coaching? Yeah. Well, casting and then beyond, I think a lot of casting directors get into the actor coaching of it, but I know you help with like a holistic life view for not just actors. So how did that come to pass? And did it, was that something that occurred when you were casting? Yes. I think we all have many skills and many interests in life, and it is incumbent upon us to explore them, right? That's all 
part of like life growth and certainly in your career, it's all part of it. This idea of like life work balance, no such thing. We are constantly balancing many things and hopefully we are staying curious about ourselves, about our experience, leaning into the things that make us feel good, and also leaning into the stuff that feels sticky and yucky and sort of growing from it as well, too. The thumbnail sketch for me of how my career went was I started casting. I studied theater. I was very clear early on that I did not want to be an actress, but I loved the world, right? And I loved the arts. And I was lucky enough to grow up in a family with my my folks were always very curious about like anything artistic. So we were exposed to it, too. And just really curiosity was encouraged across sort of like all of the arts, which is really cool. So I grew up with that mindset. I studied theater. After my junior year, I got a internship at a really prestigious and cool theater company called the Circle Repertory Theater Company. And when I was there, I saw the casting department and it was like the clouds parted and angels sang. And I was like, that's it. Like that's what I want to do. And that's sort of bringing all of my skills together. Even as a little kid, they say you show sort of what you're going to do as a little kid, all of those gifts and skills come out. And even early on as a kid, I was sort of reading people's energy or seeing where they fit. My mom would say, you know, there'd be a couple getting married, whatever, in our church. And I would say like, they match. And then there would be other people that was like, they don't match, right? In just that only way that you can talk about it when you're little. Anyway. Wait, that could have been a really great profession. Child matchmaker? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you could predict, if if you could get a couple beta clients, like that would have been really good. (laughs) But so I started casting after junior year, knew that's what I wanted to do and did not go back to school. Promised my parents I would finish in correspondence, which by the way, I did in 2018. I did it. I did it. So I was working in casting theater and then TV and film in New York for a couple of years. Then I moved to LA And I just knew like, this is where my life was going to be. It was just like a gut feeling and intuition. I came out to visit for a weekend and it was like an hour off of the plane. And I was like, oh, this is my next chapter. I just knew. So I moved here, didn't have a job, didn't have a car, didn't have any of those things. I had like $750 or something crazy. And a director who I cast this play in New York had said to me, you're young and you're smart. Like, that's what LA loves. Come and try it. And if you want to come, you can, you know, stay in my guest room. And so I called he and his girlfriend up and was like, can I stay in your guest room? And that's really what sort of like got me to LA. Meanwhile, as I was looking for a casting job after having done some big casting gigs in New York, I was borrowing his bike to ride to the Sherman Oaks Galleria to work retail to make some money, you know, while I was interviewing. And I had been New York casting for The Parent Trap. I had found Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. I had worked on things on Broadway. I had worked for Bonnie Finnegan the first season as a casting assistant of Spin City. Bonnie Finnegan at the time had all of the New York casting for all of the Paramount pilots. And this is back in the day when you'd put the full on VCR tape and tape all the actors. But we had all of these incredible New York theater actors coming in and like auditioning for all the pilots. So I was just exposed to and in an up close seat to all of the things that I loved and sort of the inner workings and was lucky enough to work for some really cool people. You did that level of casting. And then when you moved to LA, you got a retail job? Oh, sure. Because you still have to, casting is freelance. I'm sure that you have heard this many times from casting directors, but this is how we're similar to actors. It's freelance. Unless, you know, have a studio or network job, they go from job to job to job to job. And when you're a casting assistant, if you're lucky enough to hook up with a casting director that works all the time, then you're usually 
mostly employed, or if you get someone that has a series that like goes on and on. But a lot of times you like work for someone, you're doing a great job, and then they don't have work. And if they don't have work, that means they're not paying an assistant. So that's what it was. And listen, I had a, a small profile as like an assistant and baby associate mm -hmm. in New York, but I had to come here and make a name for myself and meet more people too. So that's how it happened. But very early on, it was casting for me. Worked in a couple different offices, helping people I had worked for Bonnie in New York. She was good friends with Allison Jones. I worked with Allison. I helped her on a couple projects and sort of worked all around for a couple different casting directors. And I landed with a casting director by the name of Roger Musenden, who at the time had this Adam Sandler account. And this is when Sandler was, I think the first movie I worked on with him that he was doing was Big Daddy. Oh, so we did same thing. I had, I had just done this big search. And at the time it was called Guy Gets Kid. That was the name on the script. But I had just found and worked on Parent Trap a year or two before. So I knew about kids searches. I joined him on that. That was cool because I just moved here. And then they flew us to New York because it was shooting in New York to do casting. So that's the best. That was really fun. And then I hit it off with Roger and he worked really steadily. So I was his associate for a really long time. And at the time, Adam had a big deal at Sony. His production company is called Happy Madison. And so we worked on, you know, Mr. Deeds, 51st Kisses, so many movies. And he was also producing like David Spade movies, Rob Schneider movies, things like that. So that was a really big deal deal. And then we worked on the first X-Men movie. That was really fun, like being there up close and personal for like the whole Hugh Jackman thing. If someone hasn't heard this podcast before and hasn't listened to one of our casting director episodes, would you explain what a casting associate versus a casting assistant is? Because you and I had this conversation at dinner that sometimes the terminology is confused and people assume casting something, everyone's like so high on this totem pole and we should, you know, bow down. So... What yeah. is that hierarchy? Well, first of all, don't bow down to anyone. We're all colleagues in this. We need you and you need us. Yes. So there should be no bowing down or like putting people on the pedestal. But I get it. Not the first time I've heard that. If you're a casting assistant, you're really helping like set up sessions, doing sort of the admin stuff, right? Keeping and maintaining lists of availabilities of people that have come in, setting up doing the scheduling, things like that, organizing the sessions. So you're really a lot of admin if you are an assistant. An associate is sort of in between the casting director and the assistant. So an associate is usually also in the reads, will be running reads. They are making lists. They have more hands-on. So the idea is like the assistant is really the training ground, right? You're learning the agents. You're learning the actors. You're also learning, you know, this as an actor. Every casting office has their own way of doing things, their own personality, their own energy. So perhaps someone, when I was making a list for a casting director named Eileen Starger, who would be maybe the top 10 ingenues we should bring in, they may be a little different than who I would submit as the first 10 as an associate for a different casting director. Now, nuance here, that doesn't mean that everyone that I would suggest wouldn't get a shot depending on the casting director, but I know they're going to be most excited about first. That's sort of how you tweak it. And that's also very much when you're a casting director or an associate, when you're working for a director or producer, everyone has their own taste or the thing that we know they're going to respond strongly to. So casting is really interesting. I talk about it as like, you're kind of a mommy, you're party planning. <laughs> It's a lot of party planning, right? And so there's vibes that you're also reading. It's the work 
And it's also the day-to-day meeting, bringing actors in, finding out avails, reading them, figuring out then who goes to the producer or who you're submitting for the role. There's that part of it. But then there's also sort of this chessboard part of it, or what I refer to as people poker, knowing when to have conversations about what things, knowing when to bring your wild card idea to the table. There's a lot of soft skills in casting. It's very much like producing, but there's a lot of soft skills in casting that is not just the, we bring actors in, we read them here, you guys decide from these these final five. Yeah, I think sometimes that's the unfortunate idea, especially in self-tape land, right? Are those job descriptions altered in the world of self-tapes at all? Or is it still similar? It's similar. You know, it's just the difference being that the actors are not coming in, but the associates are making more of the decisions. And again, nuance. Every office is different. There are some offices that have an associate where they're full on helping cast it and really side by side with the casting director. And then there are going to be some other casting directors that rely on the associate, but perhaps the associate's voice is not as loud in certain offices as in others. It really is also about how a particular casting director chooses to lead and run their office and how they work. So how does one, because I feel like this is the direction we're going, become an executive cast? Casting director, because that is where you have spent so much of your career, which I see and I'm like, whoa, that's important. What the fuck does that mean? So (laughs) tell me about your move from associate to casting director and then from casting director to executive casting director. Yeah. So when I was with Roger, I cast a couple indies on my own, sort of on the side where I was a casting director and I was really learning how to lead my own projects in that way while I was working for him as his associate. And then there were some projects where he shared credit with me, which meant I really got to do it. And we were both being credited as casting director. So that's the way you can move up from associate is sometimes the casting director sort of will put their hand down, pull you up and say, now I want to partner with you or now I want to share credit with you. And other times there's some casting directors that are like, no, that I'm not interested in that. This is my business and I love the work you're doing, but now go off, fly be free, little bird, go be a casting director on your own. And it also what you see a lot, you've been doing this for uh, a little bit, Sam, you'll see like associates from really cool offices that work a lot will all of a sudden break off and partner as casting directors together. So that happens a lot too. Brett Greenstein and Colin Daniel, who are really big comedy sitcom casting directors in town and have been for a very long time, they were both associates. I think Brett was working for Gail Pillsbury and I think Colin was working for Jeff Greenberg. And they were both ready to be casting directors, but you know wanted the support of someone else and they partnered. So you hear of that a lot. Okay. That was your structure right? So what I did with Roger was he was kind enough to, I was doing things on my own and then I partnered with him on a couple different things. I was happy there. That was a great job. We worked constantly, which was really lucky. And then there was just a season, Sam, where all of a sudden the work kind of dried up a little bit, but we were okay because we had, we had some savings and we were ready for a rest. I got an opportunity at that time then to be an executive at Paramount Features for pilot season. A really good girlfriend of mine was going on maternity leave, said, would you please cover for me? And because I had a lull with Roger. I talked to him. He's like, go for it. And I did that. And I loved it. I loved being on the executive side because as a casting executive, you are helping cast the casting director for the project as well. So casting directors 
Most of them are singing for their supper as well and going on meetings. You know, some producers have people they use over and over and over and over, but a lot of projects, people will come in and as an executive, they would say, I don't know, I want, I want Sam Valentine to cast this. But then other times they'll come in and say, I usually use Sam Valentine, but I'm also open to some of your other suggestions. We'd like to take meetings. And so as a casting director in studio and network, the studio network talk about who they want to put up for the job. And that can be based on people they've had good experience with or people that I love what they did in casting and I really want to work with them on a project. And so I'll have them meet the producers and the director, the showrunners, meet the casting directors. And this is what happens in those meetings. Have you ever talked about this before on this podcast? No, please open, okay. this. open okay. this up. So usually what happens in these meetings is then the casting director, let's say I have three casting directors meeting on it, we'll send the pilot script. And then we set up a meeting and then they go trot down to the showrunner's office or the director of the producer's office, whoever they're meeting. And they sit and they talk about ideas. Know, let's talk about Sesame Street. For the role of Bert, we really see it this way. And here's some interesting ideas, right? Or the casting director mm -hmm. then could also say like, but for Ernie, is it more like, I don't know, is it more like Michael Sarah, or is it more like Jacob Alardi? So what you're doing is you're checking taste, but you're also making a family. Like the casting director and the showrunner are like, is this someone I want to spend a lot of intense time with for the next two months casting this? Do I feel like I can talk to them? Do I feel like they have the energy for this? Do I feel like we're vibing? We have the same taste. It's like a first date in a lot of ways to see who hits it off. And so that's how a casting meeting goes. Actually, a lot of casting directors will make a Bible. In other words, like put together headshots or do a one sheet with like pictures of actors and say, this is who I love. This is who I'm thinking. This is who it would be great to get that type of thing. So that's how a casting meeting goes, right? And then me as the casting executive, often the showrunner would call and say like, it's absolutely Sam Valentine. That's who we want to do it. Or other times they call and say, I love these two. Who do you think? And then we talk about it. And then it's my job to really assess who we think would be the better choice for the gig. And lots of things can go into that. It can be about how busy the office is, it can be if I know a showrunner needs like they're new and this is their first pilot or series and they're going to need a lot of handholding, then that would go into who I would recommend as well. If it's someone who they really need a casting director who's going to spend a lot of time with them, talking about every idea, explaining things to them. So working for a new showrunner, meaning greener in their career, this is their first one or two shows, or they've done a bunch of pilots, but it hasn't gone to series. That also are sort of like different requirements than someone who, I don't know, than Chuck Lorre, who's done a million shows, yeah. knows what he's doing, has his person, and it's just going to be like, here's the list, and he's going to go bing, bang, boom, and you make the offers and you know what it is. So every project runs differently, and every role on every project is different, which is also for me why sometimes it makes me a little crazy when I'll hear certain things about actors relaying feedback they got or relaying why they think they weren't considered because there's no hard and fast rules in any project ever, in any process ever, never, ever, ever. And a lot of times if actors are looking for feedback and the feedback can be like, they did great, right? They did great. And that can really be the thing. But sometimes then the agent will <laughs> fill in the blank and say, well, they went a different way because the agent watched their tape and they didn't like your shirt. 
or the agent didn't mm-hmm. think you were bringing enough sexuality or the agent didn't think you were funny enough. Or by the way, and sometimes this is feedback from casting directors too, but often I have heard actors relaying like really painful feedback of like so-and-so said such and such. And because of my 25 years of experience, I'll just go, that doesn't sound right to me. Something got mixed up in the game of telephone. And then the actor's taking that to bed every night and feeling terrible. I heard, I won't say his name, there's someone that has a very big podcast who is also an actor. And for a while, younger in his career, he had a big agent that kept pushing, pushing, pushing him for our projects. Now, empirically, he was the right type for the projects. He just wasn't seasoned enough yet. And it just wasn't hitting. He was good, but it just wasn't working. But this agent who loved him and believed in him and was his advocate and his champion couldn't like understand why. And he say, but why? And it was like, well, other people were just coming in and nailing it, or there just was a tiny something that wasn't clicking for this particular role. That's it. Like him, there just wasn't a particular something. Well, this actor had thicker eyebrows. Apparently, the agent said to him, they don't like your eyebrows. And now... Sam, 11 years later, I'm listening to this person's podcast that has nothing to do with acting. And he was relaying the story about how painful it was for him because he kept coming into our network and the feedback he got was they don't like your eyebrows. And he happened to be in a period of his life where he was feeling especially sensitive. And which actor isn't a sensitive about how you're being received physically as well as energetically and as well as the work. And that undid him for a while. And he was telling the story and my heart sank because I thought that's not how the conversation went. And that wasn't the thing. But in this way, this is also how I'll talk about sometimes casting is like dating. Back in the world when you were dating, right, there would be guys, Mm -hmm. I've dated men that are like, they're lovely, but just not my guy. It wasn't wasn't the thing. Uh It just wasn't it. We had a nice time. It was fun. It just wasn't it. That very much happens in the casting process a lot too. That's why your job is to win the room and just continue to be called back in offices to make fans in that way. That's your job as an auditioning actor. Of course, we want to book the job. But if you're going in and they're continuing to bring you in for stuff, like you're killing it, keep going. But anyway, so I like I've heard those stories and then that this I was just wanted to say to this person, that's not what happened. And also just felt so bad for this young man who then got it in his head that there was something wrong with his appearance, which was not the deal. I know way too many of those stories. Yeah. And you can relate that to the first date, right? The times that maybe you weren't called back and you're like, did he not like the way I look? Did he not? Right. Like looking for the why instead of also kind of trusting the flow of things. Yeah. If you are listening to this right now as a podcast, I just want to give you a little bit of a visual. And if you're watching on YouTube, hey, how you doing? I'm currently sitting here in sweatpants, a messy bun, no makeup. But let me tell you what, my nails look fire. I am literally sitting here with a fresh manicure from Olive and June, which is, as you know, if you have not heard me talk about them 10,000 times before, my favorite at-home manicure system. I'm legitimately putting on the cuticle serum as we speak. I put this on all day long. It's like my new favorite tick habit. <laughs> I would highly recommend it as opposed to picking your cuticles. If this is you, you know who you are. You need this cuticle serum. In fact, you need the entire Olive and June kit. Let me tell you something. I used to spend a lot of money getting my nails done. I would spend it all the time because I liked the way they looked when they were long or when they were short and with a clear coat, or I would get an audition and I would need to have like character nails or something like that. And Olive and June has you covered on so many fronts because when you buy the Manny kit, you get everything you need for an at-home Manny, including their serum, including their hand moisturizer. You get the perfect nail cutters. You get the perfect buffer. It is all in there along with a system of exactly how to use it. 
it. And it breaks down to, that's right, $2 a freaking manicure. Let's spend our money where we need it and not where we don't. And also, this is a really fun thing to do and change up all the time because you know you will get an audition that will ask you to show your hands and then two seconds later, you'll have a party to go to. And that's what I love actually about the pressies too. They're press-on nails. They have new ones that are stick-ons, the stickies. These are the pressies. And these ones I love too because they come in so many different colors. So I could go a full black long nail or switch to a clean French mani if I wanted to that was a little bit shorter. You can switch it up all the time. They come off so easily when you're ready for them. If not, they stick on as long as you want. And I just need you guys to watch the YouTube because I'm holding up a pack right now of my favorite manicure colors. I have a lot of shades because I love changing my nail colors all the time. Currently, I have on a very light pink color. It's called Nuance. Ooh, ooh, talk about a character trait. We love a little nuance. I didn't even plan that, but I'm gonna give myself a pet on the back. Guys, if you are looking for a great Christmas gift for yourself or for someone else, I cannot recommend that enough. I've been using them for years. I love a female-owned business and I love Olive in June. If you visit oliveinjune.com slash broke20, you get 20% off your first Olive in June system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash B-R-O-K-E two zero. Twenty percent off your first nail system. This is the Manny kit or a pressy kit if you want to really take care of your nails. Go check them out, guys. We love Olive and June. When you were executive casting director, how much did you get to work with actors or help with the actors of it all? Because in my head, I'm like, well, then if she's like I picture an office, not like the offices I would go audition at, but like a real office with like a nice chair and a desk. And then what was your involvement with actors? Interesting question. I'm going to answer something you didn't ask first before I go there. So please remind me if I get off topic. So they were creating, when I was at Paramount, they were creating the ABC Family Network. And literally there were two development executives, a president, and they just hired a head of development. That was it. There was nothing on the air. They were showing some MOWs. That means movie of the week, but they didn't have any series. So I was recommended to be the head of casting there. They had been interviewing for a while. I hit it off with the head of programming. I was hired there. So I had a choice to sort of stay at Paramount at the time or try this new thing. They had nothing on the air. They were paying actors no money because sort of the financial model at the time was based on the Disney Channel financial model. And guys, this is like almost 20 years ago. And back in the day when you did a Disney Channel show, you were doing like 40 episodes and you were guaranteed work. So the sum of what you were making was great. But we were doing like 11 episodes. So there were lots of things to change and work on, really inventing the model of how we were doing things, advocating for more money for the actors, so on and so forth. And also for us figuring out our brand, figuring out what stories we were telling, figuring out what actors were going to resonate, right? Really putting the whole thing together. And ultimately I decided I want to like start something because the thought of being able to win was great, of really authoring something and putting something together. It also was the biggest risk. So ultimately, I chose to go there. And it was cool to be at a place. It was very much like a startup. And so I started ABC Family. Years later, as it grew and grew and grew, it was rebranded into Freeform. That was sort of that. As a casting executive, I oversaw casting for everything. So we did Movies of the Week, or I should say television movies are no longer movies of the week, television movies. We did series and we would do old school kind of like sitcoms. We would do single camera. We did sort of the hour dramedies as well as reality. And we also were doing some online stuff, sort of dabbled in that when everyone was trying to figure that out. So I was overseeing casting for everything. 
briefing. So that is about hiring the casting director and then overseeing the casting. So there's a casting director doing all of the reading, but then they would come in and test for us. It was cool being at ABC Family, and this is why I wanted to go there too. It was a young network under the radar, and it also was, we were casting people. The age range of people we were casting were like people just out of school. For a lot of people, it was their first co-star, their first guest star, their first series regular. That's especially satisfying. And because of the type of work and the searches I had done early in my career, I feel like I really honed my skill for being able to identify something in a greener actor that could go the distance. And so that is, I think, a special thing. But also because of that, it was different than, say, going in for something on NBC where maybe the testing for the pilot process is very formal. We had a formal process, but I also would sit with all the actors. I would have general meetings. I would get to know them. If they were coming in to test and I didn't know who they were, I was watching what they had. I was doing my research on them. Because also, too, when you are a greener actor and it is your first job, a lot of folks don't even know or have the awareness of how to comport themselves on set, how much work it is, how much the pressure and stress can be when we enter into new things and there are demands on us that there haven't been. So I would want to test actors in person, meaning they would come in and read in person, because that also would give me a sense of who they were, how they would behave on set, how they would deal with people. I made sure we were a warm testing room, like before the actors would come in and test. As I said, I would meet them ahead of time. We'd have general meetings, but I'd go and say hello, give them a hug, show them the testing room, explain to them where people would be sitting, say like, everyone's going to say hi. It's a warm room. If you mess up, fine, take a breath. And that really was true for that. So that was important to me. And while I was there too, they started doing more screen tests for pilots where most of the major studios networks would tape. You would tape with the producer. It would look really good. Then they would submit the tape to the network or the streaming service to say yay or nay, right? Yes, we're casting Sam Valentine on this or no, we don't get it. We're not seeing this color. Can you readjust her? And we want to see another choice, whatever the thing would be. I still made sure we were testing in person and that I knew and that I had a better sense of them. Because there's, as you know, there's so much that goes into working with someone, meaning if when you're in an office, if you're in an office and let's say a quote unquote normal corporate job, it's the skills of if the person can do the job, but also are they okay to work with? Can you have conversations with them? Can you build, do they believe in teamwork? All of those things. So it's not just your acting skill. There's so many other things and other considerations that go into a job when you are building a cast, especially when it is a younger group of people. And here's the other thing, Sam, that was really cool. Or, you know, I felt vindicated. But we did a pilot with a sister studio, meaning within the Walt Disney Company. And they insisted, and it was sort of a younger group of folks, meaning people that were like early 20s. I can't remember. Maybe they were playing late high school on this. And they insisted that we do it off tape. And we're like, fine, great. We cast it off tape. That was one of the lamest table reads for a pilot I have ever attended. Because here's the other thing that happens is when you are in person in the process and the world has changed. I'm talking about back when back when I was doing it in this particular instance, you were seeing people in the waiting room. You were reading with them. You were already building a little bit of a relationship. So you'd go to the table read and the actors would be like, oh my God, you got it. I'm so excited. Congratulations. There already was some chemistry built up in it where when you're just casting people off of tape, younger actors 
who haven't done this before, you're going into your first table read, you're already scared, intimidated AF. Everyone's heard the stories about so-and-so was replaced after the table read. You're already in your own worry, nervous, anxious, excited bubble. And then no one was paying attention to each other. That cast never gelled. That was some of the stuff I was observing too. Every actor who just heard this just heard two things. One, I want to know for sure how you think this translates now and how we can create that in self-tapes. And two, I want to know what it is in green actors that you could see. So let's go with question one first because I think question two is more complicated. In terms of self-tapes, and that's the world we live in now, we are recording this in November. The new contract deal points just dropped. We have a lot to figure out in terms of what casting is going to let us in the room and how that's going to work in the slots they have to require or whatever that is. But for those of us who just regularly self-tape, how do we create this relationship, this magic, this joie de vie? The short answer is I have no idea. Okay, great. <laughs> the, right? the, the, the long answer is all of the work is same as an auditioning actor if you're self-taping as if you're going in in person. Have watched the material. If you're going in on a show, know the tone, know how sort of the look of it, the feel of it, the energetic of it. If it's a pilot and there's nothing you can watch, you look at the breakdown, you see who the director is, you look at who the streaming service is, you look at who the writer is, you look them up on IMDb, you get a sense of what they have done, right? If you're going in for a, let's say, Tim Burton pilot, that's way different than if you're going in for the same type of project, the same script of a Ryan Murphy project to a Shonda Rhimes project. There is information that you can ferret out and find. Also, casting directors are usually very good about putting information in a breakdown. And Sam, this is one of the things that I that I listen to your podcast all the time, but I know that you are a big advocate for is doing the research and doing the work. So many mm -hmm. actors feel like they have no power, but there's actually a lot of things that you can do to get clear on how you are auditioning, how you want to take headshots, the type of agents and managers and representation that you would like to be with. This isn't just a like I'm a victim of this and I and and there and I have no information. So that's what I would say is like, do your research, make specific decisions based on the stuff. You and I have nerded out about this before. And I started a podcast during the pandemic because at that time, there were not a lot of podcasts with conversations with casting directors. And I was getting angry because I was seeing a lot of people on the other side of the business meeting other than actors starting classes, charging a lot of money for information that I believe should be free. And also because for me, it is so important and because I did advocate and I love meeting actors in person and I love working with them in person and having that relationship and building that and having that encouragement and having those adjustments. This is what I wanted to do with the podcast was really like introduce the casting directors as people to the actors, but then we also answer and really dive deep and nerd out on actor questions for them. So this was really important to me. So in my podcast, we'll sometimes talk about this type of thing too, of like really trying to get down to it. Here's the thing when you're going in an audition. You want to do the work, the research, the make the decisions based on the material. But ultimately, what moves the needle for me, and this is the best way I can describe it, is I want to see your authentic version of how you would do it. What that means is 
an assistant on a show that could go in a couple different ways. And often we'll be able to, as casting directors say, this could be male, female, non-binary, any ethnicity, the age is open. And you try a couple different types of reads and actors. I'm looking for that actor's specific expression of what they would do, what they bring to it. And so sort of an old fashioned reference, but let's say there's an assistant in something. Lisa Kudrow's interpretation is going to be different than Courtney Cox's is going to be different than Jennifer Aniston's. And they're all going to be funny and they're all going to be good. But you get a sense of like who each person is and how they would authentically go for the role as them, as what they bring as a person to it. And then it's up to the gods and the producers and lots of other things for them to go. It's kind of funnier if the physicality is funnier with Jennifer Aniston in this than Lisa Kudrow, or I like this physical type better, or they hit that joke in a little bit of different way, whatever it is. But often I'll see actors, how would I say, sort of a good by the book audition. And that's when the feedback is like, it was good. But if there's nothing for me to hook into, there's nothing for me to really get a sense of the person. Again, this is when the dating analogy makes sense. If you're on a date with someone and it could be perfectly good, and then you have another date the next night and that person, same thing, perfectly good. But there was a different kind of connection. There was a different kind of vulnerability. You had a really funny gut laugh about a joke. That's what you remember. And to further the dating analogy, Neither one of those guys could be right for you, Sam, but the one you're going to remember is the one that you really shared, like a real connection or really got a sense of who he was or he told you a funny story about his family or was sharing something that happened at his job, like really an authentic, real thing from that person is what you remember and what we take away and how I think you win the room. With the research about the project and everything you did on top of it. and then Exactly, just- right. Let it right. all go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All of the all of the impossible, annoying, horrible things that actors have to hear. But yeah, you want you want to make intelligent decisions based on the material and also show me how you would do it. When I was working for Roger Musendit, he worked on The Godfather 3. He told stories about, you know, all these actors would come in because it was The Godfather. He, as the reader, the reading casting director in that, had guns pulled on him, had knives pulled on him. Back in the day when it was always in person, there would usually be an actor that made the really awkward choice of like, if it said to kiss, would like kiss or give you a hug without checking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I remember those and days. Yeah, yeah. So, so also I say that of saying like, make intelligent decisions. And when I say be you, some actors here when I win the room, I have to do something crazy or outlandish so they remember me. No, 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 no. You do not want to be remembered as the actor that pulled out a gun or manhandled the casting associate you were reading with or did something crazy silly in your self-tape so they'd remember your slate. It doesn't need to be extra. You want it to be real and that terrible word that there isn't another word for authentic to you. It's so easy to say And then when you're doing it, it's like, was that me? And this is why I actually really enjoy working with similar people often is because when people start to know you, 
they will call you on your shit. I did an audition earlier with my friend Gabrielle and she was auditioning for the sitcom and she was doing it with like super smiley. And I was like, this is not you. This is, I go, can you try not, not to be so nice? Because she thinks she comes off as bitchier. And so she was like, is that going to be too much? And I was like, no, 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 let's see it. And it was the it was the take she sent. And it's so good because she was being herself, but fit for the role. And I think that's the hard one to nail, especially if you don't have someone else to reflect it back to you because we are sometimes, oftentimes, if you're me, our own worst judges. And especially if you're just starting out, meaning like the first five years of your career and you've never had the chance to go in person and you're only doing self-tapes, you're not a good judge of where you are authentic, right? Or like how you're reading, how it's coming across. It does make it more difficult. I wish we were in person. That's the way I prefer it. But also, there's pluses and minuses to everything. I mean, you also can do, if you do know, if you do have some experience, you can watch the tape and go, oh, mm, nope, I can redirect that. If you do have the privilege of actually having someone to read with who is good at helping direct you, there's some actors that they're reading partners and audition partners, and those work really well. But it is difficult if you're just trying to put an audition on tape and you know, you've got a friend on Zoom and you're doing it that way. Yeah. You said earlier you were very good at recognizing green actors who had something that seemed like it could go the distance. Can we talk more about that? Because I know you guys who are listening. I know you. Like, what you is it? Me. And all of us were like, hmm? All of uh -huh. our hackles uh -huh. went up. All of our ears yeah. perked. I know you guys highlighted that section too. So what does that look like? And I'm sure it looks like 10,000 different things, but can you yes. describe it even? Yes. Always, right? Like, give me the secret sauce. What is it? What is it? What is it? <laughs> Tell me, give me the shortcut. What is it? So yes, it's 10,000 different things and it's different for every role. But I guess if I had to define it in broader, more general terms, it's something that is sort of the focus, engagement, the aliveness, the I want to smack me with what I'm about to say, but there's something sometimes too about the joy that comes through that you can tell when an actor's really having fun, when they really are in their purpose and really just doing it. Sam, I'm sure there are auditions you do or jobs that you do that are like, great, that was great. And then other ones where you're like, oh my God, it felt so good. Something clicked, something. And can you define what it is? No, not always, but there's something about like, it just clicks that like, that's what it is. This person has this spark for this role and makes sense in this family. And when I say family, I mean the entire cast, the production, because you're not just casting the role. We're also casting the family, especially when you're doing an ensemble and what energy that's going to bring to the project. But that's what it is. There's something, there's like, there's an engagement, there's an aliveness, there's a, there's a something where it's like, that's the person. There's a click. I had one of the presidents of a network I work for used to say to me, how do you know? Like you always like, no, how do you know? And I would describe it as a click. Like I would just feel a click. And that's really annoying because you cannot fabricated or do anything about that as the actor. But there would just be a click where it was like, oh, that. I often say, and I fully believe it, casting directors are also part witch or part sorcerer, part, you know, Merlin. We're paying attention to what you bring in the room, but there also is 
an energetic that just makes sense. And so we're just paying attention. There's so many senses we are using that are, I think we have like seventh, eighth, ninth senses that also like make sense for something. And listen, I have also been in the position, I'm not infallible, certainly. And there have been actors that I've advocated for and then it didn't work. But you know when it didn't work? Because they didn't have the professionalism. Ooh, can we talk about that? Yes. Yes. What does that mean to you? I say like as an actor, when you go into a room, like be the person your grandmother would be proud of. We don't have to kiss up. You don't have to brown nose. You don't have to go extra, but like be a good citizen of the world. Pick up your garbage, say hi, look people in the eye, ask questions, don't have an attitude or talk down to people. Also, guys, as people are going to be going in again, I promise you this business is long and I can't tell you how many times there would be casting assistants or like PAs in offices that actors would be snotty to or talk down to. And guess who are the casting directors in seven years or five years? And we remember. So be the person your grandmother would be proud of. And also, you know yourself as a person. I was listening to your podcast today, Sam, the one, and you'll put in the notes, I guess, the one that you were doing with Gabrielle and you were the one where you have the allergies, but you were talking about both of your journeys were different, but that you have been working on some personal stuff and just sort of like self-worth stuff that we all come in. Everyone is working a self-worth picture. I don't care who you are, how fancy you are, what job you have, like what billboard you're on. Every single person person is always working a self-worth picture somehow, which actually brings me to coaching, but also know yourself too. When I was at Freeform, I started the class when people were cast where we really talked about this, like how to take care of yourself. And that means like your internal world and your physical, your physical being, because people don't talk about that stuff. And you also said something else that was really smart. That was, you're always smart, but Thrilling. you said, you, right? <laughs> extra, extra. You said something really smart, which was like, everyone thinks, and I talk about this in my group a lot, everyone thinks they're going to get the gig and then everything goes away. But then the next goal is right after that. Then there's something else you're worrying about, or you get the thing and you're still you, meaning you still have to deal with a relationship isn't great, or you feel bad about I don't know, stuff with your mother, or you feel really insecure in some places in your life, or you really are taking everything personally, and there's just some personal work to do. So as an actor too, like work, that's your responsibility. This is the adulting part is taking yeah. care of that. So the times when it was wrong was there'd be someone that was great for the role, met them, blah, blah, blah. But then we'd get to the table read, or it would be the first day on set, and they were being rude or picking a fight with another actor. And I can see under that. And that's insecurity. That's like, oh my God, I'm so scared. I don't know how else to deal with this. I don't have any tools. So this is how I'm going to do it. But like, no one has time for that. And especially when you're paying for a lot of money on set. We had a story. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you. There was a woman for a role that we were testing on a series that then ran for like three or four seasons. I loved her. She was great. I met her. She's who I really was like gunning for. This to me was my female lead. We tested in person. She took a giant dump in the room. Oh, the no. audition was terrible. There was no, and I think, and then we also like, we let her go out, had the director talk to her, gave her a minute to like, you know, adjust, come back in. It wasn't working. It was bad. There was no way I could advocate for her. There was no way I could convince the people, you know, that were on the team making final decisions that this was our girl. I could, there was no piece of tape that was going to help nothing. She lost the role in the room. This is unusual, but she lost the role in the room. So there was this dark horse that came in. She won the role. So we do the table read. We would go up and watch the table read and be there for the first couple days of the shoot. 
And the woman we had cast, there was something really off. And she also was like making the male lead really uncomfortable with some of the ways that she was behaving. There was just something that all of a sudden was like, wait, what is this? What is happening with this? Long story short, we start doing our research, checking up on other shows that she had been on and producers confirmed what our experience had been with her. And then it just was not sustainable on set. And this, so we needed to replace her. And this was when I could advocate for the woman that didn't do a great job. We brought her back in. She retaped. She killed it. She got the role. And then she was on four seasons of the show. But like, wow, there's no hard and fast rules to anything in the way things unfold. Who knows why that happened that way? But it did. We had another role on a pilot. Same thing that became a series for maybe about four years where there's this like young, hot kid. He was not a household name yet. He was with CAA. He was with a big agent. He had done a couple movies that were cool. He, oh, this one, I was out of town for some reason. I think I had a family emergency night, so I couldn't be there for the test. And I love my team. My team was very smart. The producers really wanted this guy. So he was cast. I never saw him in person. So I didn't get an energy read on him. But my people liked him. My team said he was great. They loved his tape. And the producer really wanted him. So we put him through. The table read came and he was talking down to people and being really shitty to people and like insulted the showrunner and the script to the point where... Yeah, it was wild. It was wild, right? As as an actor, Sam, and all the actors listening to this are like, how could you blow it? Like, I just want that shot. And as soon as that table read was over, like the showrunner and producer made a beeline for me and just stared at me. I was like, I know we need to replace him. And then someone we had, or I can't remember, was it a number? I can't remember if it was a number two or someone that played a smaller part. They wound up, we cast him as the lead and he was great and sort of popped off of that show. But these are few and far between these kind of disaster stories and they do happen. So that's what I say is like the times I've been wrong is then when someone is like the professionalism isn't there or often what you see, what I've seen a lot too. All you want is your series regular, Sam. Oh, that's all you want. And I do. I mean, I want a lot of things, but I yes, also want yes, that. <laughs> also want that, right? And like as every actor who has not had that yet. And we would cast shows and I would sometimes have people say like, oh my God, I'm never going to forget you. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And they do it for a year and they sort of would get in their head Hollywood way and then be like, I want off the show. I want to be able to do movies and then be real pills on set. I was just talking to someone about this the other day because there are actors who are stuck in their contracts, quote unquote, right now for shows that were pausing during filming. They're young, they're growing up and they're actively complaining out loud, which is not a good idea because everyone has a reporter these days or thinks they are. And you're seeing them essentially bite the hands that feed them. And it's very hard as a actor who hasn't been in that place to feel bad. So all of this information about an actor complaining about being under contract and not being able to go do new things gets out and about. So we all hear about it. And I just have trouble sympathizing with it as someone who is just really dying for a day player role that someone has a consistent contract and they're upset because they want to move on and do bigger things. And I'm sure that also creates a tough dynamic on set as well. 
Yes. Yes. And it would happen more often than you think, right? And listen too, when I went to ABC Family and then Freeform, I wanted it to be the place where everyone was looking for the next stars. And that's what it became. As soon as we cast someone in a pilot, then every agent was like descending upon them. And and a lot of those people have gone on to be like, to have really, Huge. really robust careers. Yeah. Yeah. Really robust that feels careers, cool, right? Feels great. It feels great. I love, I love when people win and it's so great to be part of a team, meaning their reps, their work. Work. Yeah. Anyway, to just to also have been lucky enough to have the right project that they were right for. Anyway, but there would be people that were like, okay, no, I want off because you've got an agent and manager and you're in a show, Sam. And then all of a sudden everyone's calling to figure out like, well, what movie can they do? Or here's something that's going to pay more money. Or we've talked about, we love Megan Fahey was in the bull type. She was doing a play in New York when we put her on the bull type. She popped off of White Lotus, right? As she should. She's fabulous. But we would have projects where people were starting to pop off. And then, yeah, and then the manager just wants them off because they see that there can be more money made. I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast today. He was interviewing Fisher Stevens, who has had a fabulous career in television, theater, film. He's a director. And Mark asked him a question at the end where he said, like, what's one thing you would do differently or something like that? And he said, I wish I had enjoyed it more. The coming up, because every job I couldn't wait for the next one, I was pushing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing in a terrible way, but the idea being he didn't appreciate where he was when he was there and all he wanted was the next thing, next thing, next thing. So he wasn't appreciating it in the same way. And I think as you get older, that becomes true for, I mean, certainly in my career too. I feel that way about some periods of life where it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I had enjoyed that more. But this to me is sort of hand in hand. There were actors that were like, I can't wait to get off the show to go do something. And then they haven't worked again for a while. And I was just seeing like a lot of unhappiness, a lot of dissatisfaction. I also in life have always been a seeker, always been interested in spirituality, the woo-woo stuff, like the real, like makes us us each individually. And I decided while I was an executive, I wanted to formalize this and really do a deep dive in this. So I went back to school and I got my master's degree in spiritual psychology. It was a lot like doing, not a lot like we were, you're doing your own deep, deep, deep work, like really digging in your dirt, <laughs> dealing with your bullshit and really learning new ways of being, new skills. But you also are learning counseling and facilitation. Like in every single class, you're counseling and facilitating the other people in the class as well. So I was like, this was so exciting to me. I loved that. And I really feel like it changed the way that I was a person. I was an executive. I was a human being. All of my relationships, I got so much out of it. And sort of fast forward through that, studied with David G, who's this incredible meditation teacher. He started the Chopra Center with Deepak Chopra and David Simon. I love him because he's also very East Coast. I'm a Jersey girl. And he's like a Jewish guy from Queens, very grounded, very cool, but also has the woo-woo has the science and the woo-woo. And so I've done deep dives in a lot of this stuff. I became a certified meditation teacher. I am um, a certified life and leadership coach, a mindfulness guide. And to me, all of this goes into, I think, being a better human being, looking for... So many people say, I want to be happy. I don't know that that's achievable. I believe in contentedness and self-acceptance. Like that's the stuff. A lot of life is suffering. There are highs and lows, just like in the business. And in this town, there also is sort of this lie that everyone falls into, no matter where you are in the business, that I need to work on something cooler, fancier, 
better, sexier, more expensive. I need to have a higher profile. Really, when we are sourcing all of our esteem from outside of ourselves, it's a losing game. You're not going to be able to do it. And so that's why I am very interested in like sourcing from inside and what this work is. So yes. So then I also, I've been doing a lot of coaching as well. And it's been interesting. I was at Disney for 17 plus years it was time for me to do something new. Also, the way the business was running was different. There was a merger. And so just the type of product they were making, it wasn't my sweet spot anymore. It was time for me to make a to make another shift. So I stepped back from there. I have been doing some independent casting and also have a pretty thriving coaching business. And you were asking the question, so doing life coaching for people that are not in the business or not actors. And then, the, yes, there are actors that I work with and also have a monthly group. Listen, like one of my purposes, is like helping people shine, helping people on their journey, encouraging and like holding space and really also being with them as they dig in their dirt. And this is something that I can do as a casting director. This is something I do as a coach. And this is something that I do as a mentor. So yeah, that's kind of the very long answer, Sam, to your question of how all of this came together for me. I'm going to be straight up and honest with you and tell you that this is the fifth time I have recorded this segment. And I feel crazy. I will tell you why. I will tell you why I'm having trouble recording it. It's because the membership, which is the sponsor of this podcast right now, is too all-encompassing. It's too much to fit in a segment. There's too many topics. We do too many things. So I'm going to try and fit it in really, really quickly and let's see how I can do. I'm going to pretend like this is like a really quick ad read. I'm going to get the words out as soon as possible. The membership is an online actor community for actors from coast to coast all over the U.S. and other countries to help you connect with your fellow actors. It includes the online Slack portal where you can access help from other actors 24-7, 365. It also includes office hours, which is a call directly with myself and Gabrielle once a month each to answer any questions you have about your business or where you're at at that particular time. We also have study hall, which is two hours at a time, twice a month, if not more, of co-working time where you can sit and put your actor work on your schedule so you know it's always there for you and your fellow actors are working alongside you. We have every single month a guest special coming in, whether it's the online actor studio who's going to teach us an acting technique that's going to blow your fucking mind, whether it's an astrology expert, maybe it's an accent coach, we bring in someone every single month to teach you new things just to our community. Anything Gabrielle and I create for our online world, we also give to TM. So you get everything, the best of the best, along with our library of guides, how to move to LA, how to move to Atlanta, all of our audition techniques, everything we like to do is all in there for you. Oh my God, I didn't even mention <laughs> castability. We include a castability membership in your TM membership. We pay for it for you. So you have two submissions every single month to the castability site where you can get direct feedback from casting directors on auditions. And you know what's crazy is I know there's things I'm missing, like Creative Club and the actor workout. <laughs> but this is already two minutes long. I barely scratched the surface. So this is what I'm saying. This is why it's hard to condense into a short speech because we basically put everything we ever wanted as working actors online and available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Now, the basis of this is that you should have a decent actor training under your belt already. We are not an acting school. We are a place for actors to live and thrive. If this sounds like something you're interested in, in this way too long of couldn't explain it and couldn't get it all in one breath ad, please click the link below 
below and go to themembership.co. Check out our website. It answers so many more questions than I could possibly do in this short spot. And in the meantime, if this is 100% up your alley, I really think you should go check out a spot right now because our doors have already been open and I think spots are already taken. So you should really go lock yours in. Thank you guys so much for listening and back to the podcast. What helped you find your purpose? Because I think that's such a beautiful statement or purposes. As you said, there was plural, but I think a lot of actors struggle with that sometimes. I think the go-to, and guys, don't get mad at me for this, but the go-to line is like, I just want to share stories and I just want to share. That is totally a purpose. That is totally a thing. But sometimes we get lost in the weeds of this business of like, why am I auditioning for this Burger King commercial? Like, where's the why? What am I doing? Well, yeah, I think for actors, yes, you're a storyteller, but then everyone one's why, as you're saying, is different. What is your why for wanting to tell stories and what turns you on specifically about telling stories? And why is this important to you? Some actors come here, I'll say blindly, I mean unconsciously, because they were not seen or valued as they were growing up and like, let me go chase it outside in Hollywood. And by the way, if that's your truth, cool, but be aware that that is what's driving you. And maybe also let's spend some more time figuring out what your true values as a human being are and help shift that. Because again, it's about what's sustainable. So I think it's about getting clear on where are you feeling empty? Where are you not feeling on purpose? And also really knowing what you love. Where are you alive? What excites you? Where do you feel fed? Where do you feel like you are being of service? Where And where do you feel like you are being seen, valued, and listened to and heard? And by the way, anyone's career, again, if you're an accountant, your job should not be defining you. So if you're an actor, maybe your job should not be fully defining you. All of the parts of your life are now. That means your relationship with self. That means your relationship with your partner or your family or your friends, whoever is in your life, building your life out as a creative human being is not just your acting gigs. So I think that's the thing I work with. There's one actor and a really dear friend. Her name's Brandilyn Brown, and we teach some workshops together. And she's been in the business for as long as I've been in the business. And she does tell a story, though, just to talk about the Burger King commercial thing, you know, where she was like, earlier on in her career, there was some like, I think it was kind of like a lame, it was like a lamer written co-star, or it was like a commercial that she's like, how am I going to make this? And then she thought, wait a second, do I want to wait tables next month? Or do I want to do this commercial? Do I want to do this co-star? Okay, that's why I'm going to nail this co-star. That's why I'm going to get good at auditioning. That's why I'm going to. So there's lots of different, if you're looking for your purpose in a commercial, it's not going to be there. It's sort of the wrong question. It's the bigger question of like, what helps you feel fed? What excites you? Oh, this is what I'll say to actors or to anyone listening to this. A lot of people work with coaches or therapists, but especially in the coaching world, if you start going down, and I think it's really good, good work to do. I've had many, many coaches. I still do. But really ask the question of the people you're going to be working with and our guides, like they better be doing their own work too. I'm not fully cooked. I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of skills. I'm not fully cooked and I won't be until my last breath. So I'm Again, when I started the podcast, I was seeing people like calling themselves coaches or saying they were doing things and they didn't have expertise in an area or really the purview into the stuff that they were teaching. This is a big Sam Valentine thing too. Do your research. 
and ask the question, ask the questions of the people. We had a headshot photographer come in and speak to my group. And these are people younger in their career, again, like the first five to seven years, like newly out of school, one, two years, agents, commercial agents doing the thing, but not like they're starting, they're building. This headshot photographer said like the most revolutionary thing, because I think a lot of people had shots that just weren't great. And it was like, they'd be in an acting class and it was like, everyone's getting their pictures with so-and-so. So they would do that. There would be no rapport. They didn't like the shots. They weren't good. So many times. So many times, right? And this headshot photographer was like, ask them to coffee, do the research, look at their work. Do you like it? And she's like, if any client who's going to come shoot with me, I will go to coffee with them. I'll sit. We'll talk about the shots. There's work you can do. There were some women in my group that needed new headshots and they were like, sort of, what's my type? What should I be doing? What type of this sort of like BS idea of like, what's my type? Who do you think you're like as an actor? Who do you aspire to be? What kind of career? What kind of type do you see that? Focus on like, what are those four or five people? Then do the research. Go to Google Images. This is all free. Go to Google Images. Look up the those pictures, get on the client rosters on IMDb Pro of agents you like, look at those headshots, make yourself a little PDF PowerPoint of like, these are the vibes I'm going for. And then you can give that to the headshot photographer. So this, so this one woman told me she had a great shoot and she was like, they went and had coffee. They talked about sort of what she was going for. And then she had this printout of these, basically a Pinterest board of these shots and kind of the vibe she was going for. And then also too, Sam, you're seeing like, oh, this hairstyle is what I like. This is what looks better. Oh, I am wearing too much jewelry. Oh, this makeup, it feels right for a headshot, right? And then she said, the photographer kept looking going, okay, we got that vibe. Now let's go for this vibe. Like I'm also a casting director, a coach of like, let me give you the information so you can win. So the same thing for you as an actor, if you are employing a headshot photographer, if you are employing anyone, give them the information. Another woman in my group was, she was with a management company. Her point person was like the head of the company, did not have a lot of time for her. She was about to meet with a new manager there that they brought in that was going to be her point person. She had on her own without my suggestion, she made her own PowerPoint about herself and like what her vibes were and the type of roles and the type of shows. And she was like, is this weird? Can I show it to the manager. And I was like, no, 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 this is amazing. Show it to them. And she also shared, she'd been going in a lot for the same casting directors, so not booking. So she was feeling like she was losing. And I was like, no, 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 you're winning. Who is an office that you haven't been in for yet that you really want to be in for? And she's like, I really like what such and such does. And I feel like her projects are great. I said, good. Go into the manager, bring this PowerPoint, talk about vibes. These are the type of things that you're doing. This is what, this is impressive. Like you're clear, you have a clear vision and focus and you really see who you are. Talk about that, but also say my goal for 2024 is to go in for ex casting director multiple times and make her a fan. She emailed me two days later and said, meeting went great. And I have an audition for that casting director. Wow. So like, these people work for you instead of going in and being like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I want to go in for everyone. I want everyone to be my fan. Be pointed. Yes. And my goal for this year is I want to really concentrate on this office, do a good job and hopefully continue to go in for them. Right. My goal is to go in for X and Y this year. That's my goal. Oh, okay. We have so much good stuff here. Everything we just talked about is like, holistic, cohesive life. And it's just funny how much that is reflective in the artist journey. And when I meet someone, one, I'm just super sad you're not still in charge of Freeform because it's I, I want to be there. But that network is changing anyway. So like TBD about that. So 
I am so glad I know you and I'm so glad you're such a resource to actors. In fact, I had an audition for you earlier this year and we had met prior to me getting this audition and then I ended up getting the audition. I taped it, didn't get it. Obviously, you and I went picketing one day this summer, a couple months later, and you said, I would love to talk to you about your tape. And you said, actually, wait, let's do this. I'll give you a couple notes. Why don't you retape it? And then we can talk about it on a podcast. So we are going to pause this podcast and then we are going to record a Patreon and Apple bonus podcast about that tape and the notes and the feedback and your thoughts on my retape. And we're going to get as into it as you want to. So I want to make sure we wrap this one up with a bow and tell you, thank you so much. Everything for you will be linked in the show notes, directing people to your podcast and your Instagram and your coaching. Is there anything else you want to guide people to at this point in time? I will be launching some workshops at the beginning of the year, but this is what I really want to say to actors and to any artist listening to this, like your voice is needed If you are drawn here to do this work, keep going. Take care of yourself in all of the ways that you can. But I just really want to encourage actors to like everyone start somewhere. There are bumps along the road, big bumps along the road. But to do this, I'm going to share. I know we're wrapping up. I want to share a quick story. Brianna and I were teaching a workshop at USC and this young man shared a story and he said he was really heartbroken and he said, I I think he was a senior in the program. He booked his first pilot and then he lost it. So it wasn't clear if he was fired or what happened, but he lost it. And he was crestfallen, of course, and really was like, what do I do? What do I do? And Brianna said something. She said, I'm going to say something that surprises you. Congratulations. You are in the business now. This is tough knocks. It is high highs. It is low lows. And when she said that, I actually just got chills as I repeat it because it's true. If something doesn't work, again, remember the dating analogy. If it's like not the thing, it's not the thing. It's heartbreaking. I'm not telling you to Pollyanna your way out of it and not to feel the grief of it, but also know this is a process. Things do align. Things do work out. If we can look at things through the filter of like, how can I use this for my learning? Is there anything I need to take away from this? And then keep it moving. But if you're an artist, your voice is needed and like, keep going. You are in it. And yes, that's to me what's really the most important thing that I would like to let listeners know today. You're the best. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. And thank you for doing this, Sam. There's so much healing and just like in being known and witnessing each other, right? And letting people know they're not alone on this journey. And and I really admire how you put yourself out there and what you're doing. Thank you. It's because I have good people by my side. Let me tell you. 